The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we are speaking with Rick Namias. He's the founder and CEO of Food Forward. They're doing a lot of things with food in Southern California, where they are taking uh, surplus and helping with food waste and then giving it to people who really need it. So this is very exciting. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. It's really a pleasure to be here today. So Southern California is like the hub of fruit for the whole entire United States, pretty much. I mean, not the entire, you know, fruit production, but it's a huge part, right? Well, LA as a distribution site is the entry point for more fruits and vegetables coming through different parts of the country and state, as well as uh, foreign uh, entry. Uh, We become kind of, let's say, a a giant refrigerator for the rest of the nation and even countries beyond. And prior to being that, LA just a few decades ago was actually the largest farming community in the United States. You'd never know it now, but what is crazy is to know that we were ranked number one as farming and food production. And now very sadly, and very, I think shamefully, we are rated number one for food insecurity. So let's talk about Food Forward, and then I have some questions about like how you guys get the food and the programs that you have. And so, can you impress us with some numbers because you've done a lot of good things? Thank you. Uh, sure, let me impress you with some numbers. I've let's never been go. asked in that way, but we can do it. <laughs> so, Food Forward began in two thousand nine with me and a, and one volunteer harvesting backyard fruit trees in our neighborhood. Day one. We harvested about 85 pounds of tangerines off a friend's tree and dropped it at a food pantry. And that was, I think, a great gesture. It was really sweet. But when you're up in a fruit tree, 10, 15 feet off the ground, and you look around and you see that each of the neighboring houses have grapefruits or pomegranates or avocados or more oranges, kind of a light bulb went on for me. And I realized this idea could be much bigger than just doing this one good deed. And it became something that really kind of mushroomed out, no pun intended. And we, in that first year, picking up steam and picking up volunteers and homes, uh, ended up with about 100,000 pounds of backyard harvested fruit, which was no small feat. That was several hundred um, harvests, some in large orchards, some in single tree properties. If you flash forward to today, on a very, very slow day, we do about 200,000 pounds through the entire organization. Now that's three programs. Now it's the Backyard Harvest and the Farmer's Market program we have, which are volunteer powered, uh, which are a much smaller piece of what we do. They used to be the whole pie. But the big, big one that we work with that's over 90% of our produce is our bulk produce, our wholesale recovery. But if you see that scaling of going from 100,000 pounds in a year to now it's 60 million plus a year, it's an extraordinary scale and an st- extraordinary impact. Um, you know, our produce used to go in the first year, to, I think four to six pantries total. Now we feed over 350 
which stretch across eight Southern California counties, seven adjacent states, as well as tribal lands, all the way reaching out to the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. So our footprint wow. from a distribution side has grown and our impact has grown drastically. Um, we now estimate that we supply on an average day uh, the uh, the USDA recommended five servings of produce to uh, enough. We supply enough for uh, about 150,000 people each day. So that's that's what the organization is doing from a, a number standpoint. But it's important also, as you brought up the health issue, um, we do a lot of work uh, now looking at the food as medicine equation, you know, preventative care of getting people off their 99 cent, uh, you know, fast food meals and onto fruits and vegetables. We're an exclusively plant-based organization. We do not distribute turkeys or granola bars or any of that stuff. It's just fresh produce. It's what our niche is and it's what we've really kind of become expert at. But also there's an environmental impact to Food Forward's work that's really important for people to understand. You know, we've won uh, four consecutive EPA awards from our government for food recovery. We're the only nonprofit in the nation to have um, gotten that. And um, that kind of, uh, you know, 200 million pounds cumulatively diverted from landfill since 2009, that equates to about taking, I don't know, 1,600 cars off the road for a year. It um it is uh, also, you know, if you want to visualize that, that's basically um, <clears throat> Dodger Stadium as, as we won our big game last night. It is, uh, if you can visualize the 16,000 cars um, at Dodger Stadium just disappearing off the road for a year, that is uh, the impact of Food Forward's work. See, I knew you were going to impress us with these numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. So, yeah, that's you know, pretty know, it's, it's one thing. To, to impress people with the numbers, but what I like to really, what's at the heart of Food Forward is a philosophy of sharing abundance. And we, uh, I think across, and it includes Canada too, I have relatives up there who are in the farming community. And, and when I visited them and saw what they're able to do, even in some really challenging, um, you know, uh, weather and climate areas is we have so much to give in our lives. And for some people, it is money. For some people, it's time. Our currency is food. And we know there's plenty of food to feed people who are food insecure. You know, it is not a supply problem. Hunger is a distribution problem. And so where we like to start is less with the pounds and the people fed and talk about the base philosophy of sharing abundance. And, and when people ask me what they can do in their own lives around these food waste issues, I like to start with ask yourself the question, what can you share? And what are you ready to share? Um, because it, it is something that I think in, in the world we came out of these last four or five years that have been really upside down in so many ways. I think going back to the individual's responsibility and empathy around caring for folks outside of their family and in just in their community and, and their adjacent communities, that's where the change starts. Yeah, yeah, totally. I see this with social media just dividing everybody up and it seems so hateful these days. So if we can just turn that off for a few minutes and look around us at the people, you know, even things like just smiling at somebody or or when you're 
at a store even just like say your pleases and thank yous and just be kind because you're right it is a bit of a struggle but I do want to mention about the numbers that when we do this environmental work that it's so great that you're leading from the heart and that should come first and everything Um, but then after if you can record these numbers of what you're doing this will help you get things like funding and help get people interested and 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 get people's attention and that sort of thing. So I do find that a lot of these organizations that come on my show, um, it, it is really good to keep track of these numbers because that, that does help. Right. Absolutely. I mean, look, if you, if we want to get wonky about it, it's, um, you know, like 56,000 metric tons of CO2 equivalent that we've prevented from entering the atmosphere with our work. You know, that's like preserving close to 63,000 acres of forest, which is about, four plus times the size of the, the island of Manhattan. You know, so we've presented, prevented enough CO2 uh, from going into um, the atmosphere as is equal to planting forests the size of four Manhattans. That's a, that's a pretty big uh, lift. And it's a great byproduct of also feeding people. You know, there's multiple, mm-hmm. to me, there's multiple wins to food forward. I used to say it's not a win-win, but it's a win to the fourth. For me, it's really now grown into a win to the 40th at least. And the the environmental piece holds numerous things because we're not just talking about the CO2 emissions. We're talking about massive amounts of water that are not being wasted because that food's being plowed under. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, I, 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 we're working on some of the stats to try and visualize them a little bit more, let's say humanely. Um, but one of them that's coming up is, you know, by on an average day for us, which is about a quarter million pounds of food that flows through the organization and out to our partners. By diverting that food, we are basically s- saving uh, six or eight Olympic-sized swimming pools worth of water that other, you know, otherwise was invested in the life of these crops and would have just been thrown out. That water, and there's so many other pieces in the food mile that you can measure. But the water and the CO2 are the top ones for us to really understand. It's not just throwing out, you know, a bunch of carrots. You're throwing out the, the, the human labor that planted and harvested it, the fertilizer, the fuel that goes into transporting those carrots, and so on and so forth. There's, there's a whole web of interconnectivity here that people, I think if they understand it, they, they have the option to begin to eat with greater intentionality. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my soapbox that I get up on is, you know, what can we do? What can I do? Well, you can do a lot. You can you can really look at what you're buying, where you're buying it, and much important, more importantly, what you do with it once it's home. Does it sit in the back of your refrigerator till those carrots go soft and you toss them? Or are you actually saying, all right, I'm buying enough carrots for this meal right now. I'm not buying the, the bulk because it's cheaper. And I'm using everything I've got. And I think that's where our responsibility as individuals really kind of um, steps in. And it's really imperative. We don't just look at this as a governmental situation to be dealt with. Yeah. Um, So I've never been to Southern California. So the furthest south I've been is Sacramento, which is, I think, considered northern still. Uh, So I just have this vision of like so many fruit orchards because this is kind of the things, you know, that I hear about. Uh, so can you kind of paint us a picture for those who have never been to the Southern California area, what it's like, like, are there just orchards upon orchards of fruit trees? Are there like avocado trees? Like what are your main, uh, foods that you see 
growing like a lot that that so as i understand it i'm not a history uh expert by any means but that when the spanish settlers came they planted the very first orange orchards they brought valencia oranges from spain which i think somehow originated in brazil but were called valencia oranges and those oranges were planted in various parts of southern california which because of its arid yet um you know, interesting terrain, it, citrus really took hold here. And over the years, you saw commercial orchards become a thing of great importance. In the teens and 20s, they became huge money. And as the railroads were able to transport those oranges across the country to Michigan and New York and Chicago, and people could have fresh oranges in the middle of winter, there was this whole mythology that was developed around Southern California. And then as World War II ended and people started creating subdivisions for the soldiers coming back and people kind of wanting more of the American dream, getting into colleges and building out, um, you know, mid-level blue collar jobs, people often planted a orange tree where there was an orchard before the orchards went away or they left a few of them. I actually am sitting here in a house that was one of those properties. We When we moved in, we had about a 50... No, I'm sorry. It was, yeah, it was a little over 50 year old walnut tree that had been planted in the 1940s. And it was on its last legs, but the first five years we were here, it gave off, you know, hundreds of walnuts. I'm also spending time cleaning up a pecan tree that is still alive. It's probably close to 200 feet tall that was also planted around the same time. So people would put a fruit or nut tree in their yard, or it was already there due to the developers kind of bucolic vision of the subdivision they were creating. And we learned when Food Forward began in 2009, we we learned in 2009 when Food Forward started that there are an estimated over 1 million fruit trees on private property. And that's a massive amount of fruit trees. We will never get to be able to harvest all those trees. But imagine the, first of all, the water it takes to keep that fruit growing but that resource of potential fresh produce that's available to both our citizens and our food insecure community. And so there, there was that piece of it. We also have over 200 weekly farmers markets. Some of the greatest farmers markets um, like the Santa Monica market or the Hollywood market, which have won awards and kind of become models for the rest of the country are here and have started here. The whole movement of farmers markets really took root in Southern California due to our year round climate. Um, you add to that a very robust wholesale hub where, you know, produce comes out of the Central Valley and drops into cooling buildings in, you know, from packing houses. They go to large cooling warehouses in the produce district, which is right adjacent to downtown L.A. You've got stuff coming up from Mexico. You've got stuff coming out of the Arizona fields. You've got stuff coming out of the Salinas uh, salad basket. You've got the L.A. ports which bring in tropical fruits from everything west of us. Um, it's kind of this giant hub of holding produce before again, it's burst off into all corners of North America. And so as such, Food Forward's existence as a produce niche surplus collector was, I, I would love to take credit for having really planned it. It was very much an accident how it happened. But it, it was the right idea for the right time. And we've not seen anything but an increase because there is a lot of inaccuracy and a lot of uh, a lack of data within the 
big ag communities where one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing. And so we get these bumper crops of, of uh, you know, tomatoes coming in at certain times from Mexico. And suddenly there's so much of them <clears throat> that their price doesn't substantiate the transportation. And so sadly, it makes more economic sense for these large growers to dump the tomatoes than to actually get them to market because you can't sell them for nine cents a pound. So we've become the organization of note uh, to be able to take this produce at scale. We can take 53 footers, we can take multiple 53 footers and make sure we absorb that produce. And within a few hours, at most a few days, that produce is on its way to, again, some of the millions of uh, people who are the, um, the end users from the agencies that we provide. And it's what's all a, completely free of charge. What's a 53 footer? I'm sorry. It's a 53 foot tractor trailer uh, truck. Oh, so like a like a big normal transport trailer that we'd see on the highway kind of thing. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, that you're you're scaled so big. So how does this organization work? Like, how do you? Uh, I know you have thousands of volunteers, but I would assume yes. that you do pay some of your staff. So do you get government grants? Do you get like money donations? Like how, how do you fund this giant program? Uh, it's a mixture. Yeah. We have a, um, our volunteer run uh, volunteer powered programs because we definitely even have staff that uh, coordinate those. It's a very, you know, high level, high touch is our volunteer or we call them our community programs. That's the backyard harvesting, like I talked about, and then the farmer's market gleaning, which is uh, its own entity. But uh, we have a staff of about 35 to 38 people. And some of those are people we've uh, recruited out of the produce uh, world, some of them out of the nonprofit world. And basically it's, it's a lot of logistics. And then there's also admin staff and fundraising. Uh, so our, our staff is uh, based in Los Angeles. It's also, we have a large warehouse in Southeast Los Angeles. And we have a small office in Ventura, California, which is also a very large farming community, which is just adjacent to L.A. by about 30, 40 miles. We are fueled by private foundation grants. Um, we have a handful, a very small handful of government grants and hope to move deeper into that in the coming years. We feel like there's a new understanding and friendliness from the Biden administration towards not just food insecurity and food waste, but understanding how large scaling nonprofits can be a solution to some of our um, greatest ills. And we're, we're already feeling some, some warm reaches out uh, on that front. But we also exist on the $5 and $10 donations that um, individuals give us, as well as the, the larger individuals, uh, the larger donations from individuals. So, you know, people want to donate to us or understand how we might accept a grant. Uh, you can reach us at info at foodforward.org, or if you want to make a donation at foodforward.org, right, right there, you can, you can drop us some money. And that money, again, goes to um, help feed people. I think last year, our cost per pound all in was about seven cents for, for recovery and distribution of a pound of food. Again, this is all plant-based. There is no There's no juice boxes in there. There's no candy bars. It is completely healthy food. And so people are, um, you know, able to contribute and know that they're not just preventing food waste, but they're getting uh, the communities that we reach, which are now up and down the West Coast and, and well into isolated and rural areas, a lot of farm worker communities and such. Uh, that is that is what we do. And that's all we do. 
This is a major difference I see with you versus some of the other food rescue uh, people that we've talked to is that, yeah, you don't take the packaged cookies. You don't take, you know, the grocery store waste, which is kind of neat that it's just all this fresh, healthy, healthy stuff. Um, so you have a few programs that you've mentioned. So can you tell us maybe just a little bit about each one? So there's the Backyard Harvest Program, which I assume people move into a house like you did. They've got a giant tree. They maybe don't want all the fruit falling on their yard so they can give it to you. Um, there's also the farmer's market program that you mentioned and then a wholesale recovery program, right? So are these like the three kind of main ways? Correct. Those are our three um, programs. And what what what's really interesting, it's kind of our secret sauce is there's this high impact civic engagement through the volunteer programs. That's, that's where someone who's five years old or 85 years old can get involved with us in a very hands-on, tangible, change-making way. They can lead a pick with a group of 20 volunteers, um, or they can go out on their own and be part of that whole kind of virtuous cycle of planning the pick, doing the harvest, and dropping the food and seeing that food distributed. It's a really wonderful feeling to be part of that. It's just a few hours of a day. Um, or, you know, again, with our staff, we have a dozen folks uh, with probably close to 200 years of cumulative experience working our produce pit stop warehouse and the uh, adjacent uh, distribution center called the Sprout. And again, these folks are just dedicated to getting both small and large uh, food recovery, um, or let me say food distribution centers, whether it's a massive food bank or it's a tiny church pantry. We have the means to um, really accommodate small, medium, and large agencies. You know, currently uh, we're kind of at capacity. We're still coming out of the COVID surge as far as need. So it's going to be a little while till we can take on new agencies. But if people are interested and they're in the Southern California area uh, and they need produce, they can check us out as well at foodforward.org about next steps and how they could get there, you know, get an intake uh, form to us to assess once we're taking new agencies. But it's a team effort. And what it is, is people who come from all backgrounds at Food Forward. And, you know, it's my great honor to, to run an organization where we have folks of every stripe and diversity working for us and working with us to make these systems, you know, bigger and better. Um, it, it's an interesting thing, though, Laura, because I, I've got to say, I, I had not done this work before I started. I was a a documentary photographer who is spending a lot of time around agricultural issues, farm worker rights, and other nonprofit and social justice issues. But as I began to move the ball forward, I started to realize how much, how many sets of muscles one must develop to become a, a successful nonprofit organization. And I'm so grateful that the team we've built brings such acumen. And, and again, they come from all corners and even our board of directors, you know, we have, you know, you've got your, your, your more uh, expected attorneys and accountants, but we have people coming from, you know, PhDs in uh, urban planning that have joined us. We have folks who have been entrepreneurs in the electric car space. We have, you know, an array of people that come to Food Forward with a generous spirit, and there's just always been the sense of building a plane while you're flying it. There's definitely some speed bumps. And I'll tell you, COVID and the, uh, you know, the, the months that have followed have been brutally uh, challenging for us. But we're coming through with about a 250% increase in what we did before COVID. So we're coming out in, in, in good form. But it's that intrepid individual. It's that, that employee that really likes to build something. Even though we're now, you know, 
a, a still, I, I, I call us a mid-sized nonprofit. Our budget's about three and a half to $4 million this year. That will generate about $120 million in social impact through the food we give out. Um, but we're still a bit of a startup because there's no, there's no playbook. So with, with the COVID speed bumps, were you finding that there was more food being wasted because people were like going out less to buy it? Yes, that was a big one. Yeah. Yeah, there was a huge surplus of food that was earmarked. And the thing to import, that's important about uh, produce for people to understand is those orders happen six and 12 months in advance. You know, a peach tree doesn't understand COVID. It's still going to produce those peaches, yeah. but it does it once a year. And the order for those peaches still stands if um, by nature, even if the Hilton Corporation is not going to be buying it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, or if Walmart is not going to be buying those those bulk peaches in, a, in, a, in an advance order, they needed to find a home. So the speed bumps first were, how do we scale and broaden the pipeline to accept more produce and get it out to hungry people? At the peak, and I heard the statistic yesterday from the county directly, one in three Los Angeles County residents had experienced food insecurity during COVID. That's extraordinary. That's millions of people that needed to be fed. And I think LA really rose to the occasion and set some really great examples for how programs can materialize in a few weeks. What we did is we uh, expanded our warehouse. We doubled the footprint and we opened up a, an area called the Sprout which was aimed specifically at medium and small agencies that had changed from, let's say, after-school programming or tutoring to emergency food distribution and needed a resource for fresh produce. We would, we would schedule these folks in and we'd get them in on a 15-minute interval, and they would get a number of boxes of mixed produce that would uh, help take care of the needs they had as uh, they were feeding families who had lost jobs, been laid off, had supermarkets that closed in their neighborhood, any number of things. So I have to say that it was uh, it was a huge team effort, but basically the vision was Food Forward was doing 25 million pounds of food distribution prior to the pandemic. That was about three times the produce that was happening anywhere in the area. We saw social imperative and we saw the ability to scale. We put out a plan uh, that was very, you know, very lean and mean to a handful of funders. And we said, are you with us? And within about 10 days, we had raised the close to $1 million we needed to open the backside of the warehouse, get the sprout going. And then we realized, you know, a few months later, this is actually working really well. This should become a permanent part of our food distribution uh, work even if we see a diminishment of agencies. There was still enough in LA that needed that small and medium-sized attention that couldn't take you know, eight or 10 pallets of produce, but could take one or two that needed a source for regular produce. And the, the other piece that's important to speak about is we focus on not one-time drops. It's the very rare occasion, I can't say it doesn't happen, but it's very unusual for us to enter a relationship with an agency that needs food only once, like they're doing a walkathon or something like that, that's not our, our area. We want to move the needle with regular, consistent, and reliable relationships. So we will take on organizations that are set up for every other week or once a month distributions um, with a greater priority. That's where we feel people become healthier. 
Well, this is uh, pretty cool to learn about because it, I, I can't believe how big it is. Like it is really just a massive organization that you have here. And I love the flexibility because I have worked in the government and it's so rigid and there's just not enough room for flexibility to be successful in so many ways when things are so rigid, right? So it's so nice to hear that, you know, I think you're 12 years old. Is that right? The company? Yeah, we're 12. We'll be 13 next year. And I I really appreciate appreciate hearing that from you, Laura, because that to me has been one of, again, the the key successes of Food Forward is its nimbleness. We're not part of a chain or a collective. Um, We've always felt that that autonomy and responsiveness is very much in line with what nature gives you when you're dealing with farmers and what you're dealing with with the need. It, it shrinks and it rises. And if you can't be responsive to that, you're always going to be behind the eight ball. So it's foodforward.org. Are you on Instagram as well? We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, yeah, you can find us there. Cool. Yeah. So if you want to learn more, um, you can check them out, foodforward.org, or find them on social media. And maybe you'd be interested if you're listening and starting something up in your own community because uh, not all the listeners are from LA, but we actually have a lot of listeners of the show from California. So hello, if you're in California, uh, all us Canadians are jealous of the weather. (laughs) (laughs) One last thing, Laura, is we do have resources on our website that inspire others to do what we're doing. And they're PDFs that can be downloaded. So they're there to share kind of early steps of how to get a gleaning organization going in your community. And uh, hopefully they lay the seed and inspiration and they're there and should be easy to find. So, uh, and they're free for the taking. So we welcome folks to, to get out and share the abundance. Yeah, why not? And and I think that planting fruit trees is really awesome. And I'm I say this a lot on the show. If you're in Canada, a lot of our old apple trees are like fifty to hundred years old, and they're dead and dying. So I think it's a great idea to plant some. Then you have your own food source, um, and then you know there are places where you can donate them if there's a lot. They're good for animals, that sort of thing. Um, so uh, of course we can't grow oranges up here, that's for sure, because it's way too cold. Um, but apples are kind of a good colder uh colder thing that we can grow up here um so well this is great so thank you so thank you so much this has been awesome to learn about and uh i look forward to seeing those numbers increase even more as it as time continues um so thank you thank you lauren thanks for the opportunity to speak to you and your audience i really appreciate it that was rick namias he is the founder and ceo of food forward from la change starts now This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.